like you to open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Over the next several weeks, we're going to trace different aspects of the, the Advent story, the story of Jesus' arrival. And the word Advent means that. It means expectant arrival, a coming of one or coming of something that we long for. If you uh, think historically about the Advent season, not only has the church celebrated for hundreds of years, and if you grew up in a maybe a more of a mainline or traditional church, you might have experienced the lighting of the candles and the, the regular observance of Advent and even particular readings that you went through. In fact, if you're as parents wanting to think through how could I better lead our family this season, there's plenty of resources online that you can get to even practice a, 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 an Advent observance where you read something every day or maybe in the morning before they go to school or once a week you t- do some readings around the theme of the week. Uh, so I, I encourage you to do that. It's interesting when you think about Advent, if you think about it historically and you back up before Jesus was born, you would come to the idea that uh, Israel waited expectantly for their Messiah. In fact, there was a period that we know of about 400 years of silence uh, in a sense that uh, Israel had heard from God and then it went 400 years until Jesus shows up, until they get the, the announcement of his arrival and God speaking again to his people. And so even this morning, maybe you're in that situation where you feel like, God's been very silent in my life, or I feel like he's distant, or I wonder if he's present. And I want you to know this morning during the Advent season, you can have hope that God has not gone away, that God has not died, that God has not lost control. Uh, You might wonder why he's silent, maybe. Uh, I want you to know this morning he's not. As we open his word, he speaks to us through his word. I pray he would speak to your hearts, that God is here presently working in this room and through his word. And the good news that we have is we aren't like Israel who is waiting expectantly for a long time for something to happen. We, it, we already know it happened. Jesus was already born. Jesus already lived. Jesus already died for our sins on the cross to grant us forgiveness, to welcome us into the family, to overcome our greatest enemies of Satan, sin, and death, and to overcome them by rising again on the third day and sending his spirit to dwell in, his hearts, in our hearts and to be amongst us as his people today. So he is alive. He's present. We are not waiting for him to come. He already has. Uh, but you may be waiting expectantly in the season for something, and I hope that Today, you'll find that he will meet your deepest longings. He does want to satisfy your greatest wants. And I don't know how you are this season, but I know for me in the years that I've gone through Advent seasons, I have often had hopes that have been deferred. Uh, I've often had expectations that didn't get fulfilled. Um, In fact, I, I know growing up, in my household, like Christmas was like the greatest anticipated deal. In fact, uh, my parents made a big deal out of it. And I remember waking up on Christmas morning and we always expected the, the presents to be so filling the room that half the room you could hardly even get to. It's just, they were everywhere. I mean, it was a, a joyous expression of generosity and my parents' great care for us. And so it was a lot of fun. But I don't know how it went for you, but 
For us, we'd wake up and, you know, we'd want to, of course, dive into the presence, but mom and dad would slow us down a little bit, and mom always had made her, uh, her, our, our favorite, uh, like, uh, brown sugar uh, kind of cinnamon roll deal thing that we ate every Christmas morning. You guys had one of those types of things? You got up and you knew it was there waiting for you, and you, you smell it, and you get up, and, and it, you know, you go to, we'd get our stockings first, and we'd open them up, and there'd often be gifts in there, and they'd let us see those first, and, and then we'd, they'd slow us down, and they kept saying, hey, Christmas only comes once a year. Slow down. And then we would, we would just, you know, dig into the, the sweetness of my mom's wonderful delicacies and, you know, just enjoy the morning and try to slow down. But we were eager. And sooner, sooner or later, we'd drag them out of bed because oftentimes uh, we, would, we would get my dad up and he wouldn't want to get up, so he'd stay sleeping. Mom would get up and make the, the rolls and then we'd have to go, come on, Dad, we're waiting for you. And we'd pull him out and he'd show up finally and we'd, he'd get his coffee and he'd try to slow us down as much as we can and and uh, I remember we would do one gift at a time, you know, just pass, the, you get, pick the name, get the gift, watch them open it. Uh, when I married into Janie's family, uh, they would just like, everyone would get their gifts and they'd all open them at once and be like, gone. Like in 10 minutes, it's like over. And I grew up in this household, like, you make it last as long as you can. You know, like it's hours of gift opening. And we would just try to prolong the Christmas experience. And it didn't matter how long we tried to prolong it, We'd always get to the end and you'd be sitting there with whatever you'd been given and you're, you know, when you're younger you had toys to play with. As you got older they looked a little bit more complicated like Atari and you know, they weren't the little toy trains but they were the, the video games so you'd figure out how to put them on and hook them up. And I remember I was in a rock band at the time when I was in high school and got this keyboard to add to the addition of the instruments that I had. And, and so there was all these things that you do, you play with them but I don't know how it was for you. You just, a few hours pass, maybe sometimes it's later in the day and you're sitting around going, well, that was it. And then you just go, okay, I guess it's waiting till next Christmas. And then you would wait. And my, my daughter, Maggie, usually about January, she's like, how many more months is it till Christmas? I'm like, it just happened. <laughs> and, and we just, we have this great expectation, this great hopefulness about the season. And many of us get through it and maybe you're going, okay, Jeff, that was a fun childhood story, but you don't understand, like, I go into Christmas and I know I lost somebody or I'm without someone this year or that things didn't go so well in my life or maybe I was hoping it would get better. I was hoping uh, the relationships would change. I was hoping maybe one more time around the tree would somehow mend the brokenness I experienced and then you get through it and you realize hope once again is deferred and you wonder, is there any hope? Is it going to get better? And what I want to ask this morning as we begin this season together is, what are you putting your hope in? I was a kid, it was presents. It was my favorite, you know, the gift we wanted. It was being together, which are all great things. Maybe for you it's a new relationship. You're hoping, you're hoping that God will bring that special one. Maybe it's a, an old relationship renewed or restored. You're praying for reconciliation or redemption of something that feels lost. Maybe it's a new job or a new opportunity that you're hoping for. Maybe it's the repair of, of an opportunity that you feel like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could have a fresh do-over on that one. I wish I could start again. And if we're not careful, we'll get through 
Christmas with a longing and a hope, and then we'll think New Year's is going to do it, and then we'll make resolutions, and then we'll get through another year, and we'll look back and go, one more year of hope deferred, one more year of hope dismissed, one more year of hopes gone away. And the thing I want to ask you this morning is, who or what are you putting your hope in? And, and I want to even make sure it's clear, I hope that you don't hope in the future. I, I, I want to call you to hope in the one who holds the future today. Don't hope in what may be, hope in what is. Hope in what will be. And we know that God is the God of yesterday, today, and the future. God is the God who never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's my hope that this season we will look to that God and as you hopefully opened your Bibles to Luke 1, I want to bring us back to the narrative of when Mary first found out the news that she would be giving birth to a Savior. Let's look at verse 26 together, verse 26, chapter 1, Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Have you ever had an angel come to you? I know of people who have. It's interesting whenever an angel comes to someone in the Scriptures, the, the, the follow-up is, don't be afraid. And there's a good reason for that because Many of us have this idea of angels as like, hey, I don't know if you're a collector of angels, but if you know someone who's a collector of angels, it's like, you know, these delicate little creatures. But the reality is an angel is a mighty messenger of God. And when an angel would show up, there was good cause to be afraid because 
They were bright, brilliant, mighty, powerful beings uh, like nothing you've ever seen. And so you can imagine Mary's first thoughts, if you were to try to be in her situation, uh, this poor peasant girl from a small hick town called Nazareth, she gets this awakening by an angel, and the first thing that she hears is, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. Know that God is with you. It's interesting, one of the names given to God, uh, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is Emmanuel, God with us. One of the things I want to encourage you in, in terms of hope this season is that God is not far away. God is near. God is with us. For many of you, maybe like Mary, I would imagine, who's got this news she's got to carry that is going to get misunderstood, that's going to, she's going to be wrongly judged for. All of a sudden, she's pregnant. She was betrothed to be married, had not yet uh, experienced the consummation of that marriage through a wedding ceremony and ultimately coming together with her husband. So there's all kinds of things that are going to happen to her. And, and she's got to be in places that, throughout her whole narrative where she's feeling very alone. And maybe for some of you this season, what you need to hear in terms of what might give you hope is God is with you. You're not alone. I can't promise you that the next several weeks or even the next year will be better. But I can promise you, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that you won't go it alone. That you won't have to be alone. That God is with you. God is present with you. In fact, maybe that's the name of God that you need to remember throughout the season. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with me. Emmanuel, I am not alone. In Jesus, we see God's divine, present care for humanity. There are many who believe in a God who put everything in motion and then stepped back and let the universe run on its own. The scriptures are real clear. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. That's not the God who came near we know a God who is both mighty and awesome, but he's also imminent. He's present. He's with us. And if you have put your faith in Jesus this season, I want to encourage you that when Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, he didn't do it just so that you and I would be forgiven. He did it so he could make us a pure, holy dwelling place for God. So that God would be with you, that God would be in you. Like those of you who know that, I, I just want you to just, even just pause on that, but just say, oh yes, I'm not alone. Hopefully you get up in the morning and you go, good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I've, I've learned to get in the practice of, of practicing that reminder throughout my day, uh, even as I go into the bathroom. God's going with Jeff to go take a shower. I know that might be a little weird for some of you. You're like, that doesn't give me a lot of hope that God is with me all the time. But he is. You're not alone. 
God's going with me to work. Yeah, that difficult situation I'm going to face. I'm not alone. That coworker that's hard for me to love, I have the God of love with me. God with me. The difficult holidays you may face, God is with you. And maybe today you're saying, no, I, I, I am alone. And I, I want to encourage you to not be alone again this season. Don't, don't go another Christmas alone. That God is saying to you even now through Jesus, I love you, I want to be with you. Let me come and make my home in you. What's really good is that Mary's not only alone, but she's highly favored by God. The angel says, you, Mary, are favored. You found favor with God. Now, when an angel shows up, it's not good if you don't have favor. So God being near is only good if God is for you. If God is against you, God being near is not a good thing. I hope you know that. In fact, some of you, maybe you're going, that's why I don't like the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, because I know my life. I know my heart. I know the things I've done. I want you to know, so does he. Every one of them, better than you do. Knows your thoughts, knows your actions, knows what you've done, what you haven't done. And here's the beautiful thing. In Jesus Christ, not only does God show up in Mary and God says, I've found favor with you. You are one in whom I'm putting on my divine merit, my, my divine affection. My, my desire is for you, Mary. I love you. But he's saying it to you and me too. That Jesus is God's way of saying, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I'm not, I'm not waiting to come and condemn you. I've sent my son to save you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus himself says, The son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus coming in a very small form, a little baby in the womb of a, a virgin woman is God's way of saying, I'm coming to you in a humble and gentle state. And I'll grow up amongst you and I'll be just as needy as you so that you'll know the kind of love I have for you, that I will enter into your needy state, that I will come and be an understanding, compassionate God who's not here to be against you, but here's, who's here to know you and understand you and, and feel your struggles and understand the weight of your sin and understand the brokenness of your humanity so that I can enter in with compassion. God is not just with us, he's for us. And he's for us in a way that he gets us. God is not standing far away at a distant, unaware of your life. He is up close and personal. I've gone through many journeys throughout the years and there have been seasons where I face very difficult times without knowing that. Some of you know that the the woman I'm married to, Janie, wasn't the one I thought I was going to be married to. If you go way back in 
to my 20s, 20 and 21, I was looking at engagement with another woman, and many of you know I've told you this before, I came home and discovered her with my very best friend. They had been having a relationship on the side all along while we were having this, uh, what seemed to be heading toward marriage relationship, and I was devastated. And I, I, I considered all kinds of ways of taking my life during that season because my entire hope was built on her. And when she was taken away, I was hopeless. I didn't, I didn't know God personally. I didn't know a God who's with me and for me. I didn't know a God of hope who could carry me through my trial. My God was my girlfriend. And so the idea that I had lost my God, as it were, left me hopeless. In fact, um, I don't know what you put your hope in, but you can know what you put your hope in by what most captures your thoughts and affections and, and um, kind of intentions, what drives them, what motivates you most. And, and maybe, maybe that's a good exercise over the next several weeks is to say, what do I hope in? What do I most expect will rescue me, will give me hope, will give me a future, will give me satisfaction? And another way to find out what you hope in is to imagine if I lost this, what would my life be like without it? And the thing that you hope in most is the thing that you'll be most devastated without. My hope is that you'll hope in God who you cannot lose. So that when you lose something, you'll have someone to go to. For me, I needed to go to a God who was near, a God who was with. In fact, it was during that journey that God led me to himself. And maybe some of you are going through a season where you're going, there's a lot of hard stuff I'm facing right now. There's a lot of difficulties, a lot of hopes that have been dashed, a lot of hopes that have been deferred, a lot of hopes that have been lost. And it may be that God's saying, I want you to know that I'm the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. I'm the only one who really gets you. I'm the only one who will always be there for you. And in some ways, God may be saying to you this season, stop going to things that can't give you a certain hope. Only I can. And the, the good news about Mary's story is not only is God with her and God is for her, but God says, I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue. So we have God who's with us, God who's for us, and God who saves us. Listen to the name that she's given. And we, we just pass over this. You, you shall call his name Jesus. And we go, yeah, I know, that's Jesus. And we, if we're not careful, we just go through the Christmas story. I know, the, I know the narrative. I know the name. Let's move on. But don't move on. Slow down. It says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And what we know of in another one of the gospels is that the word Jesus means God will save. Yahweh will rescue. Yahweh will redeem. Yahweh will deliver. God will save you. Can you imagine what Mary must have been thinking? God's going to bring about the salvation of the world through this? Through me? Through the baby that will be born in me? Through me? I, I, I'm going from a, a no-name peasant girl from a small little town that nobody knows and the salvation of the nations 
is dwelling in me? It's going to change your perspective on life a bit. In fact, don't miss it. I want you to know if you know God, if you've come to faith in Him through Jesus Christ, if you now have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, the same is true for you. God's salvation is in you. In fact, I, 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 I hope that those of you who know Jesus this season will walk around going, like Mary, we're carrying in us the very person of God, the very hope of the world, the very salvation of God to a world that's lost. Paul tells the Colossian church in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Many of you know that we, a year ago, decided to call our church as we got started a new doxa. The word doxa is the word for glory. As we talked about the word glory, we reflected on the prophecy in Habakkuk. 2.14, that there will be a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then Ephesians 1, 22 and 27 says, Christ is the head of his church in which he fills all in all. That's that saturation glory point. And then Paul says where I just read in Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are the church. We are the dwelling place of the living God who is God saves, God who delivers, God who rescues. Jesus is in you. That's an amazing thought. In fact, I, I hope you, you walk around and go, don't just say, what, am I, what present am I going to give or what present am I going to receive, but rather, whose presence do I carry? I carry the presence of the living God everywhere I go. I should give you great hope. Not only are you not alone, not only is God not against you, but for you, but God is the one who saves you, and God is the one who saves through you. And all of us know we need salvation. Some of you go, oh, I don't know, oh, I don't know. No, you, you do. The Bible's really clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have failed to live up to the measure of the standard of perfect righteousness that Jesus now has shown us every human is meant to live up to. We all fall short of it, and if we are serious about paying attention to our lives, we'll either be led to a place where an angel shows up and will go, oh, no, because I'm in trouble, I've sinned against a holy God and I have no hope, or we'll, we'll cry out, God, save me from myself. Save me from my sin. I was uh, recently speaking to a woman who was coming out of a significant broken relationship where there was some infidelity and uh, is going through some public shaming that people are putting her through because of the sin that she walked in. And as she was telling me about her story, uh, she recognized, yes, I know what I've done is wrong. And, but why do people have to continue to shame me for it? Why do people have to keep beating me up for it? And I, I stopped and I paused and I said, here's the thing I want you all to realize. I want you to realize and I want us this morning to realize. Sin requires payment. And we intuitively know someone has to pay for sin. We all know that. In fact, we, we do one of several things with it. We either beat ourselves up for it because we think, I've got to pay for it. And so we live with hatred and self-condemnation. We live with a 
I ought to, or I should not have, or I really wish I hadn't. And, and then we, we just heap more and more shame and guilt on ourselves because we're looking to ourselves to pay for our sin. Or, instead of looking at ourselves and being covered with shame, we look at someone else and we, we redirect the blame. We, we say it's their fault, it's what they did, and we want to have someone else pay for sin. And maybe you've been in a situation where someone sinned against you and so you're redirecting it onto them or maybe you sinned against someone else and you're either dealing with a condemnation or you're realizing you can't handle it and so you've got to find another person to blame. But regardless, every one of us has got to look somewhere for someone to pay for our sin. And Jesus, the name Jesus, is a really good name for you today. Because it means there is one who paid for your sin. As I spoke with this woman, I said, here's the deal. You can either continue to feel the weight of your sin and try to pay for it, try to make it up, try to, try to do better next time, try to cover up, try to pretend it didn't happen, try to live in denial. You can try to redirect it to someone else, which is what is happening to you. You're feeling others, put it on you. But here's the deal. Not one human on the planet can carry the weight of sin other than Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And here's the, the good news for hope for you. God is not only with you and God is for you in Christ, but God wants to save you from the weight of sin. Not just your own. Even sin that's been done to you. One of the beautiful things I... I love about the cross. We don't have it up here right now. Um, we will again. But when I look at the cross, I say, Jesus, I can't take it. I can't, I can't carry the weight of my sin. Take it. And God, I can't take, I can't take the weight of sin been done against me. I can't, I can't keep wishing it would be over. I can't just keep wanting for someone to make up to me for what they've done. That, that never, ever deals with the problem. The real problem is a perfect human had to suffer and die in our place, not only to forgive us, but to carry the weight to the grave. And to do like the psalmist said, remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. Mary regardless of the, the tradition you grew up with, Mary was not without sin either. She needed to hear, you are highly favored of the Lord. She needed to hear, God is with you, God is not against you, and God saves in Jesus. And maybe one of the reasons why we have a hard time having hope is because some of us are stuck. As I shared the good news with this woman that Jesus has died for her, that Jesus took the weight of her sin for her, that Jesus will deal even with the accusers that come against her to shame her for her sin, that in that moment I said, I want to just encourage you, you can go to Jesus and say, you know, even, even though everyone will continue to blame me, Jesus, take the blame. Jesus, take the shame. Jesus, take it on yourself. I don't want to be stuck here. For many of us, the reason why we have a hard time having hope is because we're stuck. 
We're stuck in what has been. We're stuck in what we've done. We're stuck in what we are experiencing today. We don't know how to look forward to a future hope. I want to encourage you, not only has God saved us, but God wants to save you. He wants to be your present and future salvation, not just your past salvation. Romans 8, 24, 25 says this, Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul was describing a future and how good things would be one day. And what, he, what he's saying is, is that we have a hope for a future reality. We have a hope for a certainty that God's going to do something. That we have a hope in what we haven't yet seen. But for many of us, our entire life is primarily based upon what's already happened to us or what we've done. Our, our entire future, for many of us, is completely connected to our past. And here's the deal. If you don't have a future that's bigger and better than you, then you won't have a hope for your future. You might go, well, I, I do. My, my, my past has been really great. What happens when it's not? What happens when the day comes and you fail? What happens when you let someone down? What happens when, when you, you re realize you have not measured up? And if your future hope is based in your past performance, then you will be hopeless. But if your future hope is based not only in Jesus' past performance, but is in, in his future performance, what he says he will do, then you will be filled with hope because your hope is not in you, but in the one who holds your future. I love what the angel says to Mary. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, don't worry, be happy, things are gonna be great, just stay the course, have the baby, work really hard, be a good girl. doesn't say any of that. Listen to what he says. He says a whole bunch of wills, a whole bunch of things that God will do. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And then she says, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. And then he gives him four more, gives, gives her four more. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be called holy, the Son of God. Just so you know, your cousin, Elizabeth, she's old. She just conceived. Nothing will be impossible with God. Here's the thing I want you to hear. The reason why you can have hope in the future is because the one who holds the future is a will-do kind of God. A God who will do what he says. A God who will do what he promises. A God who will overcome. A God who will get you through. A God who will not leave you or forsake you. A God who will not turn against you. A God who will not leave you alone without help. You know why a woman or a man is able to say, I do? It's because someone says, I will. I will take you as my wife. I will love you in sickness and in health. I will love you till I die. Do you take this woman to be your lovely wedded wife? I do. Why? Because we said we will. Now, if we're willing to say I do 
to one another when we say, I will be faithful. And we know all of us, if you're married here or if you know anybody who's been married, which you do, you know that nobody was perfectly faithful to their I wills. But we have a God who is perfectly faithful to every I will statement he's ever made. And I love, I love what, what the angel tells Mary. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Maybe today you're facing something, you're going like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't know my circumstance. Not impossible for God. I hope you, one thing that you get hope for in the season is you realize if God can birth the Son of God in a virgin womb, and if that Son can be raised in a hostile environment like Egypt, where the king wants to kill all the little babies and the angel directs them to go to Egypt to escape the tyrant ruler who's going to kill all these baby boys, and if that God can lead that son to grow up and never sin, and that God will serve every need that you have that he can meet with his own hands ultimately put on a tree and that God knew every sin you ever have committed or ever will commit. And that God at the tree on that cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if you, you, you saw that and you said, man, that, that's a God who's for me, not against me. A God who wants to be with me, not far from me. But, but, but it gets better. He didn't just say it. He didn't just die for it. He rose again on the third day so that he would show us that there is no enemy he cannot conquer. If you believe that that's the God you and I know and serve, that when he faced Goliath through a little boy named David, he wasn't, he wasn't afraid when he went and drove the people into the promised land and they called the, the land full of giants and God said, they're grasshoppers to me. When, when that God overcame temptation in the, the wandering in the desert in those 40 days so that he could help you and I overcome temptation in what feels like a desert sometimes in your life, if that God is able to overcome all things for you and he's for you and not against you and with you and not far from you and he saves you not just past but present and future, then you can say with Mary, let it be done to me. Whatever you want, God. I love her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is how you respond to a God who's with you. This is how you respond to a God who's for you. This is how you respond to a God who saves you. This is how you respond to a God to whom nothing is impossible. God, I'm your servant. Have your way with me. Have your way in me. Have your way through me. Whatever you want. You might ask, how do I know what I put my hope in? Well, whoever or whatever you say that to is whoever or whatever you put your hope in. Have your way with me. Whatever you say, whatever you want. Have your way with me. Some of you today are serving the wrong master. You're saying that to your job. You're saying that to your boss. You're saying that to your children. You're saying that to your spouse. These are all good things. 
But when they become the ultimate thing, they become hopeless things because they can't handle the weight of your expectation for them to be God for you. Only God can. They're going to let you down. I want to encourage you today, this season, put your hope in the one who holds your future. Put your hope in the one who overcomes sin. Put your hope in the one who will never leave you or forsake you. Put your hope in the one who's not against you but for you. Put your hope in the only one who can save. What are you expecting this Christmas? It'll be another year of hope deferred if it's not hoping in the one who holds your future. It'll be another year of hopes dismissed because you looked to the wrong source. If you don't look to him. And I know many of you go, I expect this. This is Christmas. We're going to talk about the message of Jesus. We're going to talk about Mary's story. We're going to talk about how God came. Please, please, don't let this season be mundane. Don't let it be normal. Don't let it be regular. Don't let it be as though it came and went and then you long for something else. Long for him. One assignment this week, ask yourself, who or what's my hope in? Who or what am I willing to serve with my whole life? If it's not him, you will be ultimately hopeless. If it is him, He'll help you to do all the other things well. It's the one thing I love about Mary's story. As soon as she realizes God is with her, God is for her, God is saving her, and nothing is impossible for that God, she can do anything. We can join in with Paul in saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Maybe today you feel alone. You don't have to be alone. Don't go it alone. Invite him to make his home in you. Maybe you feel like, I feel like he's against me. He's not. He suffered and died for your sins. Maybe you think, oh, I don't know if he can help me. Nothing is impossible for the one who holds the future. Put your hope in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this season that we get to remember Jesus again. I pray it would be a daily thing, not a yearly thing. I pray that we would not rush through a season putting our hope in something that will never be when we can put our hope in someone who is. God, you are for us all we need. Father, I pray you'd grant us repentance this morning if we've been putting our hope in lesser things if we've been looking to our future for our hope instead of the one who holds our future as our hope, grant that we might turn back to you this morning and receive hope that will never disappoint. We thank you this season that you are with us, for us, and able to save us because nothing is impossible for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.